This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. You're listening to Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Christian Terbish. Welcome back from the break. I'm Christian Terbish. This is Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio. Today we are talking about nursing and the work that nurses do at the bedside. In the first half of the show, I could uh, speak to Chris Guerra, who is a clinical nurse on Penn's Trauma Surgical ICU team. Uh, at this point, it's my big pleasure to introduce my second guest, Corey Kidd. Corey is the founder and CEO of Catalia Health, uh, which is a company that created Mabu, an automated healthcare companion who helps patients in their transition out of the hospital. Welcome, Corey. Thank you. Great to be here. Hey, Corey, uh, tell us about Mabu, your automated health companion. You have a cute little video on your website, but since this is radio, we have to kind of rely on an oral description. So tell us about Mabu. Absolutely. So, you know, physically, this is a little device that's about 15, 16 inches tall that sits on someone's kitchen counter or bedside table. Uh, it's got a little head and eyes that can look at you and make eye contact while she's talking to you. Uh, she's bright yellow and has blue eyes. So it was designed to be kind of a cute and approachable device that literally looks at you when you walk up. And then most of the interaction is actually through conversation. So she's talking to the person who's interacting with her. Walk me through my relationship with Mabu as a newly discharged patient. Do I, do I meet Mabu already in the hospital and she, he, it is coming home with me? Or is Mabu somebody who gets delivered by FedEx? It can be either one of those. It really depends on the hospital and, and their workflow and what they have time for and space for. So sometimes she can be introduced before you leave the hospital and you'll take one home with you. Sometimes she might be introduced there and you know, one will get sent home. Sometimes you might be told about it and one will arrive in the mail a day or two later. Uh, but the first conversation when you get her, you know, the setup process is really simple. It's take her out of the box and plug her in. That's it. About 30 seconds later, she's on, she says hello, <laughs> and kind of launches into, you know, who she is, what she does, and how you're going to work together. So I have a personal question, Corey. Uh, I mean, short of my wife, we're a guy's household with three boys in the house and myself. Um, but uh, we have already Alexa, we have uh, Siri, and now there's Mabu. Why, why are all my kids male and all my robots female? <laughs> I think this is uh, an interesting question. Now, the, the kid's male. You're going to have to tell me. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> robots being female, uh, I'm, I'm not sure why that's been a trend across the entire industry. I know there has been some research on, uh, you know, how people assign gender to things that have led some companies to uh, to making these more female. You know, we definitely tend to refer to maybe that way. But, you know, we see our patients uh, thinking of it as male or female, and we try to, to be indifferent to one or the other. Uh, now, once Mabu is in my house, uh, so uh, Mabu and I got to know each other. Uh, how does Mabu help me through my life? So when we are working for, with patients dealing with a new condition, uh, you know, we start off looking at a couple of sets of things, really. So on the, the kind of positive side, if you will, what are the guidelines and best practices? You know, so once we have someone who has a diagnosis and, you know, has been maybe in the hospital or at least to the doctor and, you know, given some treatment, then, you know, we have medical guidelines for what we want to happen 
from there on out. And at Catalia Health, everything we deal with are chronic conditions. So these are things that people are not dealing with for a few weeks or a few months. We're talking years or decades here. And so we kind of know what that path is that we would like someone to follow and, you know, the things that we want to be able to educate that person on about the disease, about the treatment, things they, they should be doing, checking in on, you know, when they might want to call a, a doctor or nurse if something happens. So, you know, there's, there's lots there. And, and so we try to understand what that is and, you know, what we need to be doing for, you know, patients dealing with a particular condition. And, you know, that's sort of our, our ideal journey. But the reality is that ideal journey is not the case for anyone. You know, when we're talking about years or decades of dealing with a disease, things are going to go wrong at some point. You know, we want to know how to deal with them. And we look at those challenges that happen. And, you know, of course, the specifics are going to vary depending on which disease or, you know, which treatments you're doing or, or even the person, uh, but they fall into three categories. So one is around symptoms, you know, symptoms of the condition itself. What do you need to be watching for? Uh, when is something happening that's actually an issue and when is it kind of the normal course of the disease? So, so that's one thing. The second are side effects. And, you know, most treatments, particularly drugs, will have side effects for some people at some portion of the time. How do we help to better manage or mitigate those? And the third category are actually the psychosocial issues, dealing with things like stress or anxiety or depression. And these are more likely to affect those of us who are dealing with a chronic condition. So across all of these, what we're doing is building a lot of content into Maybu that comes from clinicians or, or other medical uh, you know, collaborators on this. So that there's something that we can talk to that individual about, you know, when they have an issue that's going on and, and that we need to address. But simultaneously, we're sending the fact that that's happening back to the doctor or the nurse or the pharmacy, someone who can continue to provide follow-up care. So what Maybu is really doing is helping to connect someone back to their overall care team. It's not about replacing those people. It's about letting them have a better idea about what's going on across all their patients. So when Mabu gets briefed by my main provider, by the hospital I'm discharged from, so uh, say Mabu gets briefed that I'm, uh, you know, I'm 75-year-old male, congestive heart failure, I've been in the hospital for two weeks, uh, I'm discharged with uh, on statin aspirins and beta blockers. Um, so uh, Mabu is then reminding me, like, Christian, it's 7 o'clock in the morning, get up and uh, get out of the bag, move around a bit. And then Mabu says, Christian, take your meds. Uh, what are like the the main functions? And so sorry to kind of as a as an engineer, computer scientist, I kind of like to decompose Mabu into her functions as opposed to seeing her as a human being. So what are the core <laughs> functions here? Absolutely. So you know, there's a bunch of different things that that can be a a function, as you put it, for different patients, right? So you talked about. You know, reminders, say, to take a medication, that could be a part of it. There's a lot of educational content. So in the case you just gave about heart failure, you know, what's happening to the typical patient is they're going to show up at the emergency department with chest pains. That person might be admitted to the hospital, realize it's, you know, something else. They're going to get diagnosed with heart failure. They're going to be put on, you know, on average, about five new medications, uh, you know, told to be on this low-sodium diet, and, you know, you need to watch out for this and that each day. I need you to measure your, you know, your weight every morning, your blood pressure, you know, every afternoon. So it's just a bunch of things that uh, can be overwhelming to a patient. And so a lot of what Maybu is doing, particularly in the first few weeks after discharge, is explaining about 
the diagnosis and about the treatment and what all these different medications do and, you know, what it really means to be on a low-sodium diet and what are the things you need to watch out for. So there's a lot of educational components in there. And there's a lot of essentially data gathering, right? And that could be as simple as, oh, hey, did you take your medications at 7 a.m. like you usually do? Uh, you know, yes or no. It can be, uh, you know, the numerical data, right? Did you step on your scale and tell me your weight or, you know, have a Bluetooth-connected bathroom scale or other devices to give us some help or medical data about that patient. Uh, and then it's being able to really tailor what it's doing to that particular individual. And that happens in a number of ways. So we start off knowing about what you said a few minutes ago, right? We know that, uh, you know, this is a patient with a certain name and a set of medications and the diagnosis, and that's it, right? We don't really know much about the person. And so what maybe was doing is through those early conversations, really learning about the individual, trying to better understand how to tailor to their needs, how to deliver information that is going to be best received by them, uh, what are the topics that she should focus on, uh, and, and really starting to construct a conversation even from the very first one that is, is for that particular individual and not just for someone dealing with this disease. Uh, Corey, I, I don't mean the next question in any way disrespectful or dismissive, but just to make sure, um, uh, Mabu is just talking, Right. I mean, she's not helping to open the door when there's somebody at the, the ringing the doorbell. She's not getting me a beer out of the fridge. Uh, she it, it is talking. Right. Correct. Yeah. So this is through conversation with the patient. So imagine, you know, if you had someone, uh, you know, one way that this could be done today is if we had enough clinical caregivers, you know, nurses or doctors, to be able to call every patient every day on the phone and check in with them. You know, if we were able to do that, <laughs> we wouldn't need something like Mabu uh, for patients, but we simply don't have enough people to do that. Oh, absolutely. And you yeah. think about it as, as kind of the same type of care, right? Let me call. Let me see how you're doing. I remember you from our conversations yesterday and the day before. And, you know, how's everything going? Did you do this? Did you do that? Can I tell you about this? Right? If we had unlimited time for people to do this, then we wouldn't need Mabu, but that's the function that she's filling. So you're absolutely correct. You know, she's not running around the house doing things, answering the door. You know, in terms of the physical robotics, uh, we cannot yet build something like that, uh, you know, for many of those things at all. And, you know, for the things that we can do technically uh, in a you know, reasonably cost-effective way, you know, that'll change over the next 5, 10, 20 years. But uh, right now, in terms of the, the level of robotics and the physical part of this, it's, it's fairly simple. Uh, Corey, you have a PhD from uh, the MIT Media Lab uh, where you worked on human-to-robot interactions. What have you learned in your research at MIT about the efficacy of, of, of robots and, again, uh, using a robotic solution here, the companion, Mabu, as opposed to just, you know, just using Siri and basically voice recognition on, on a phone type of device? So a lot of my work during my master's and PhD at MIT were at the intersection of artificial intelligence and psychology. And so one thing we know from psychology, if we look at medicine or education or business, you know, so much of this happens face-to-face. -face. You know, as the, the CEO of a company, I spend a lot of my time traveling around and, and sitting in meetings face-to-face -face with our customers and partners and patients and investors. And, you know, why do I go to that trouble if I could sit here and do it all from the phone in my office? 
uh, because we get, you know, intuitively that face-to-face is different. You know, when you're face-to-face with someone versus talking to them on the phone or sending texts back and forth or even versus a video conference, you know, you feel that there's something different. And psychologically, we actually know what those differences are. When you're face-to-face with someone, you're more engaged in the conversation. You're creating a stronger relationship. That relationship will last longer. So, you know, these are not new findings. We've known these for decades now. But what I found in the last 20 years is that those differences actually carry over into the world of technology. In other words, putting something like Meibu in front of a patient, you know, a robot that can literally look them in the eyes and, you know, make eye contact when they move around, versus delivering the same conversations on a screen-based interface, like your, you know, your phone or your tablet, or a voice-only interface, like one of the smart speakers. When you use the robot to do this, it's much more engaging in the exact same way that face-to-face interaction with another person is. And so, you know, what this tells us theoretically then is that if you use an interface like this, you should be more likely to engage a patient over, you know, an extended period of time. And what I found, I did the first large-scale randomized controlled trial of this, is that indeed when we use this with patients in the real world, it is incredibly effective at doing so. And so when we compare to these other interfaces, you know, while we could deliver the conversations through those over time, we know that people are likely to use those only for a few days or a few weeks. And again, we're talking about chronic conditions that are going to last years or decades, what you really care about is how long you can engage that person over time in their healthcare. It's fascinating, though, the way you describe it, uh, Corey. Um, in some sense, so, um, I, I've he- I heard the opposite argument in a kind of in a movement in technology where people talk about enchanted objects, and I've done some work with connected uh, pill bottles myself, where the argument you could make is that it's really the intelligence should not sit with a separate device. It should be if you if your problem is forgetting to take your meds, you really should embed the reminder functionality in the pill bottle. Um, have, have you kind of how, how do you feel about this balance between kind of embedding the intelligence in a separate unit versus having the intelligence sit in a decentralized manner? If you know what I mean. Well, I think the, the core question is, comes down to the problem that you're trying to solve and what you're focused on doing here. So there are lots of companies that have built some sort of reminder device or application like you're talking about, whether that be a, a glowing or beeping or texting pill bottle or pill box or, you know, an app that runs on your smartphone or, you know, on some other device. And, you know, there have been lots of these, probably at least hundreds, if not thousands of them that I've seen over the last 20 plus years to do something like this. But the reason that these have not shown any efficacy is that they're trying to solve the wrong problem. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so you said exactly what that supposed problem is, which is people forgetting to take pills, but that's not the issue. You know, if we look at any particular chronic condition in patient population, and we look at, say, the top five reasons that that people are not staying on therapy, which covers the vast majority of patients, in that top five, you're never going to see forgetting to take pills, right? There are lots of other issues that are actually the reasons that patients are discontinuing therapy around the things I was talking about a few minutes ago in terms of side effect management or, you know, symptoms of the disease and how that's changing things or, uh, you know, stress or depression. So those are the actual issues that we need to solve to make a difference in terms of, you know, patients staying on therapy when dealing with a chronic disease. And so that's why we've 
taken the approach that we have. Everything that we do is fundamentally based on the medicine and the psychology behind it, and then we've just found the right technologies to be able to support that. So in this case, again, it's not about you know forgetting to take a pill and reminding someone to do that. It's about solving all of these other challenges. And so for doing that, this turns out to be the right form factor, the right kind of technology to really make a difference. Uh, we talked about, uh, Corey, we talked about the kind of the functions that uh, Marbo is providing and any kind of function needs some form of input. So I've, I caught myself wondering, uh, what does Marbo know about me? Is Marbo relying as the sole source of new information other than what Marbu was trained with on what I tell Marbu, or is she smart and alert and she uh, she just looks at me and realizes that I've had three beers last night? Well, you know, on the, the latter, I don't think there's any way technologically to do that, right? So this is not really about tracking everything in a person's lifestyle, uh, you know, depending on what condition a person may or may not be dealing with, whether they had three beers last night may or may not be important. Uh, you know, it's really focused on helping a person deal with a particular condition. And so she has a lot of knowledge about that condition. You know, so we were talking about heart failure. In the case of our heart failure product, we've actually been collaborating with the American Heart Association for uh, for some time for building that product so that we're able to take a lot of their knowledge and expertise. And that's sort of the baseline of what Mabu has when she's talking to a patient. And then what's happening is she's actually building up a model or multiple models of each patient over time. So I talked about kind of the psychological model a little bit. She's trying to learn and understand the person and how best to relate to that individual. There's also our medical model where we know a little bit upfront about, you know, the disease, and maybe the drugs that that patient is on. And then we're going to track what's happening or not happening or any data related to that over time. And that's what she's going to use to be able to create a conversation on the fly for that particular person. In case you're just tuning in, you're listening to Work of Tomorrow here on Business Radio. I'm your host, Christian Tevich, and I'm pleasure, I have the pleasure of talking with Corey Kitt, who is the founder and CEO of Catalia Health. And Catalia Health provides a, a kind of a care companion, a robot by the name of Mabu. Mabu helps patients when they're out of the hospital, back kind of in their home. And we're talking about uh, the kind of the intelligence built into Mabu and what Mabu learns about the patient. Um, Corey, I, I, I want to backpedal a little bit. I, I think I made the mistake in my previous question of, of, of ridiculing my three beers here. Um, there, <laughs> there, there is a lot of benefit from having a smart object like Mabu live in my household with me and seeing to what extent I, seeing beyond just listening to me, right? The Mabu as a smart device might see that I'm moving around. Mabu might even detect some asymmetry in my gait. Mabu might realize that I'm running to the bathroom all the time. The level of sophistication that we have in AI already seems to me allowing for some other smart diagnostic of Mabu beyond just listening to me. Is that a fair statement? You know, we're certainly moving in that direction. I wouldn't say we're there yet. You know, so one thing to clarify is we're not doing any diagnosis with Mabu right now. This is really a tool, you know, as you've said, to help a patient once they've you know, received a diagnosis, they've returned home, say, from the hospital or the doctor's office, and we're going to help them follow up with that. You know, one of the things that, that we're seeing in AI is if we have a data set or access to some data, then we can start to do, you know, more and more 
interesting, accurate, and relevant things. That could be diagnosis. It could be the follow-up, uh, but, but there are lots of things that we can do there. And in certain areas of healthcare, uh, you know, where we have these nicely labeled data sets or, or some way to get them, then we can start to do those things. One of the challenges, though, is when we're talking about the, the quote-unquote real world, right? We're not in a clinical setting now. We're in the patient's home. How do we get that data? How do we instrument the person or the home environment that gives us access to some data? And that's a place where we're making progress, but there's still a long ways to go before we have the data that we need to be able to do those kinds of things. You know, today we can rely on various types of, you know, say, medical devices, whether that be a, you know, a true traditional medical device or more of a consumer-grade thing, like, say, the Apple Watch that can detect AFib. Uh, and, and, you know, there are a number of those kinds of things that we can ask a person to wear or carry or use on a regular basis, and that's one way to do it. Uh, we can start to put sensors into the environment, right? The example that you gave about detecting a difference in gait, there are multiple ways that you could do that if you had a, a camera looking at the person or sensors on the floor or you know, a bunch of different ways that we can start to go about that. And it's a, an area where we have a, a better and better understanding of what we can do, uh, but we're still in the process of figuring out practically how do we do this for lots of different people in lots of different environments, and it's still going to take a ways to get there. So if I think about what Mabu and your technology power, empowering Mabu learns about me, there's a learning that Mabu, you know, by, by, by living with me over the years, Mabu finds out my habits and forms a new baseline to detect what is abnormal for me. Um, there are also Mabu colleagues that I would hope or I assume that are connected to the cloud and your, your technology is kind of empowering them, uh, that you, you kind of learn from the Mabu community, if you will. Um, how, how many Mabus are there? At the so, you know, the first part of that is in what we're learning. Yeah, that's that's happening at, at different levels and in some ways automated and in some ways still human powered. So, again, this is part of the overall care team. We're not taking the clinicians you know, out of the loop here. We're giving them access to data, whether that be alerts sent to them or a dashboard where they can look over all their patients and track progress over time. So, you know, we're doing some of that learning, like I've talked about on Mabu herself, where she's talking to that patient, learning how to adapt to them. We can do some of that learning on the back end in the cloud, where we have all of the aggregate data about patients, so we can look at patterns. And then there's the data that's, again, sent out to the clinician, so that you know, we're not doing any sort of automated AI-type learning. It's you know, relying on the people who you know, ultimately are the ones providing the care for these patients. So, so those are the kinds of things that we're doing. The second part of your question about numbers, you know, we've been doing a lot of small-scale trials over the last few years as we prepared for commercial launch. So we've had a, a pretty small number of patients use these to date. Uh, right now, there are tens of these in patients' homes. In a few weeks, that will change to hundreds and will be to the thousands later this year. How does Mabu interface with my care team? I mean, you mentioned, uh, Corey, in your earlier response that, uh, again, you know, Mabu is not aspiring to be a physician, um, but in any situation of kind of an increased connectivity, there's just more data that needs to be processed. That means also more false positives, right? Meaning that Mabu says that Christian looks really kind of depressed today, he should talk to the care team, contacts the care team for me, and the care team goes like, oh, Christian again, Mabu again. Isn't there, through the extra connectivity, a certain overconsumption or an overburdening of the care team who is partnering with Mabu? 
So this is something that's extremely important to us. You know, when we think about working with our customers and partners, whether that be a provider or a pharmacy, one of the things that we spend a lot of time on is the workflow integration. And so when you think about integrating something like this, and, you know, you come from a a technology background, the first thing you're thinking about the the technology integration, which unfortunately in healthcare is not easy, (laughs) but that's actually the easier part. It's the workflow integration and making sure that we're fitting in to what the clinical caregivers would do today for a patient. Uh, And that's something that our clinical team spends a bit of their time on and understanding. And so it's for the very reason to address the question that, that you're asking, right? We don't want to overwhelm already overburdened clinicians with more data. And so we make a great effort to not do that. So the, the way that this works is all of the data coming off of Mebu goes to our back end, and that's where the analysis happens. So we have, uh, you know, of course, a HIPAA compliant secure back end, so they're able to get that data there. And from there, we can share a few different types of things with clinicians. So when we build out a new application, let's take heart failure, since we were talking about that, we've used the American Heart Association guidelines of, okay, here's something that should trigger a clinician, you know, looking at something. So a patient has gained, uh, say, two and a half pounds in the last 24 hours or five pounds over the last week, right? So that's an indicator of a problem. Or they've said they're not taking their medications or there's a handful of things and that can trigger an alert to a clinician. Uh, And otherwise, there's sort of a a default level of data. So we're not passing on the entire conversation that the patient has with Mebu. We, We don't need to give them that level of data. But all of the clinically relevant data can go into the dashboard where they can look at you know, at that for either across their entire group of patients, you know, maybe sort by different criteria and figure out who they may or may not need to reach out to, uh, you know, or they can drill down on a particular patient and look at their trends over time. So, so that's the level of data that we're giving. So it's, it's very deliberately designed to not overwhelm the clinician with a lot of new data that they need to review. They're a part of setting up their particular dashboard in the beginning so that then it's something they can easily read and when there's something actionable, know what action they need to take on that. Since this is business radio, we sometimes talk about money as well. Um, how is Mabu going to bring revenue forward? Is this a cost-sharing model with a capitation-based system with the insurance or hospital, or is Mabu sold as a service? So Mabu as a service is is the way it's set up in short. So we have a couple of types of customers. We do a lot of work in the specialty pharmacy space. So we're working with the large pharmaceutical manufacturers. And today they are providing care management programs to patients. Well, they're paying for them and the pharmacies are providing them. And so the way that's delivered to patients today is they might get one or two calls a month from a nurse at a pharmacy checking in on them for the same price point as that we can provide Mabu in the home and she can talk to a patient every day or as often as that patient wants. Uh, And similarly, we work with providers, with hospitals. And so in this case, uh, you know, the model is similar. We're providing them a service. We build them on a per patient, per month basis. And this saves them a lot of clinician time, right? Instead of doing that outreach to patients, Maybe we can handle a lot of that day-to-day interaction and someone can step in if and when necessary. And so in either case, you know, you don't have to make a whole bunch of calls just to kind of check in, do basic education on the patient because, frankly, those aren't happening today because we simply don't have enough people to do it. Uh, but now it lets those clinicians, you know, use 
their time wisely and reach out to patients when they actually need something. Says Corey Kitt, the founder and CEO of Catalia Health, uh, the company that created Mabu. Thank you so much, Corey. Thank you also to Chris Guerrera, our nurse on the first half of the show. This has been really inspiring and uplifting for all of us here in the healthcare community. You've been listening to Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio, powered by the Warden School on Serious Exam. Let me thank our sound expert, Daniel Bruno, and my producer, Matt Dads, for their wonderful support. We hope you can join us again this coming Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern. I'm Christian Tevish, and on behalf of all of us here at the Wharton School, thank you for listening. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Oh, 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 o